Ready to go? And talk about a whole three pages? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. We're discussing the third book today. We're Ooh. starting Assassin's Quest. Whoop, whoop, whoop. On the prologue, right where it begins, of course. We've had a nice little break. You know, we had took a week off. Mm-hmm. We had somewhat of a vacation. <laughs> Warm weather and beaches, so I'm ready to dive back in to uh, the misery of Fitz's life. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> This is the prologue, The Unremembered. And of course, it's of quote-unquote old fits <laughs> when he's, I don't know, probably 28, 29, maybe 30, something like that, after the events of this book and after he gets Hap from Starling. Yes. He's pretty much reminiscing and talking about... You know, the events of the previous book and giving us a recap because that's the thing that happens at the beginning of these books. Yeah. And all books, to, pretty much. Yeah. Just in case somebody decides to start on the third book of a trilogy, you got to let them know what they missed. <laughs> it always annoyed me. These ones, they recap a little bit different because it's a different perspective a first person like in the moment perspective of what's happening versus like oh i was so young back then perspective of 30 year old fits looking back on the memories right. back when i had a young person's body right <laughs> yeah so this prologue starts off talking about how fits has just woken up uh with ink all over his face because he's fallen asleep writing again that this is something he does quite often is write and write so far into the night that he's falling asleep. He mentions his boy, which we know to be Hap, but the reader who would be reading this for the first time would not know. When I was reading this the first time, I expected him to like have a kid with somebody <laughs> at the end of this book. Oh, yeah. I mean, that does happen, kind of. Not at the end of this book, really. No, but he does have a kid by the end of the book. Right, I mean, he gets Hap. No, Nettle. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but a boy. I was talking about, like, he's have, like, a baby boy kind of thing. I guess, sure. Yeah. So, he talks a little bit about how his boy will chide him for not taking himself to bed earlier most of the time, but sometimes... Something in his face makes the boy stop and not say anything. And he describes it as it's just something that all men need to learn. I do not try to explain to him why I do as I do. It is not a secret one can give to a younger man. It is one he must earn and learn on his own. A man must have purpose in his life. And Fitz is pretty broken during this, and we know that he's given some of his feelings and memories to Girl and a Dragon at this point, has mm -hmm. not gotten them back. So I consider him, you know, 
partially forged, I guess. I don't know if that's the correct term for it, but it's a lot of his bad feelings gone, so a lot of his joy in life is gone as well, and he feels like he has no purpose. Mm-hmm. He's kind of sitting here, and I, and that's not just from giving his feelings to Girl on a Dragon either, right? Uh, but it's kind of enhanced that feeling in him, I think. And he talks about having to look for a purpose, that every per- every person needs a purpose, and not really having one, so he's fallen back and taken up Fedrin's and Lady Patience's suggestion of writing down a history of the six duchies. Right. Which often meanders and goes into personal things, mm-hmm. as we know. This is also the start of his habit of writing all of the time, all of the intricacies of his life. We know that he does this for the rest of his life. Um, although later in life, he starts burning everything after writing it. I think he keeps think he very is, few things. I think he is burning stuff now, too. Mm. Especially like the pages of history that delve into personal things. Sure, yeah. But I do know that some of them are not burned, though, because in the next Fitz trilogy... He worries about some of the scrolls being found because he right. left them behind. So yeah. that tells me that not every single one gets burned. No, he doesn't burn everything. I don't think he ever burns everything um, because sometimes he is proud of like what he does and he sends them off to Chade. Right. Like, and he doesn't know if Chade's going to read the history that he's writing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of sending these things off and like, right. this is acceptable work. Right. <laughs> And I think sometimes he just toes the line and falls asleep and doesn't... His boy cleans up and uh-huh. he doesn't burn any... Doesn't manage to burn everything at the end. <laughs> but he does talk about him trying to write this history, try to write the coherent story to distract himself. And he also takes breaks because he can't focus on that long thing at one time. So he does smaller treatises and... Uh, observations on cultures and magic and political structures and things like that eventually you know when the pain is the worst from his skill cravings or from his body or whatever he just works on translations which require not much thought so he's very distractible he's trying to escape a lot of his mind right now and just delve into something just like Verity did with map making. Right. Which I find an interesting likeness, I guess, that he's giving to himself and Verity. It's interesting to me because I guess I never viewed Verity making maps as a way to escape pain until reading it through Fitz's perspective. Although we don't know that Fitz is right. It is a skewed perspective but it is cool to think about it that way that maybe Verity was so obsessed with maps so that he could get away from his own skill problems although I don't think it started as that for him at the very least I agree I think he genuinely did like make making maps beforehand mm-hmm. which I guess is true to Fitz as well he genuinely liked being someone who could be a scribe's assistant. Yeah. He thought at one point that would be his job for life, which would be a pretty cool job if you ask me. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a really interesting parallel between the two. And I do wonder 
a little bit about it maybe being a stretch because he kind of sees Verity as a father figure. So maybe he's trying to be like, oh, just like my dad (laughs) in some roundabout way. I'm not sure that that's true, but it made me think a little bit that it could be. Yeah, definitely. As I mentioned before, Fitz is in a very broken place in his life. I feel that he thinks he's content, that he thinks this is what he always wanted Mm -hmm. and what he kind of deserves in a twisted way. Sure. But at the same time, reading between the lines and knowing what we know happens later, he is an incredibly broken place and doesn't really know hasn't really fixed or addressed any of the emotional issues he had before. Right. Because, again, he still says here, like, as he's writing down these histories and it delves closer into personal things, he has to confront his past, who he was, and who he is becoming. And part of that is like, oh, I had people that, you know, really loved me and friends and everything more so than I deserved. And it just just very self-pitying talk of, like... Yeah, I, you know, people actually cared for me, but they shouldn't have. And I'm just here alone in my cabin with my boy. There were good times, but there were way more bad times. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be (laughs) is kind of fair (laughs) for Fitz. Although a little bit biased because we are only getting Fitz's life story through his lens. So, but if that's how he feels, you know, that's valid. Yet I possess, perhaps, a greater share of dark memories than most men. Few men have known death in a dungeon, or can recall the inside of a coffin buried beneath the snow. The mind shies away from the details of such things. And he still has PTSD from a lot of these events that has happened in his life, or at least nightmares, and memories resurfacing that affect him still you know, 10 years after those events. Right. And he says, just thinking of the men, the eyes of the men who beat him up causes his gut to run ice cold. And there's just still so much fear there. And it's really sad because, you know, that's such a hard thing to deal with. And what happened to him was really, really horrible. And it just makes me so sad for him that there are lasting effects that, don't really ever fully go away right yeah definitely and then he talks about how it's also a not just a literal death in the dungeon but it killed fitz chivalry as a person and we've discussed this before emma like last episode i think how him dying killed him in the eyes of the entire six duchies exactly and so he can't go back to who he was and so He says in here, I was never again commonly known as Fitz Chivalry. I never renewed bonds to the Buckkeep folk who had known me since I was a child of six. I never lived in Buckkeep Castle again, never more waited on the Lady Patience, never sat on the hearthstones at Chade's feet again. Lost to me were the rhythms of life that had intertwined with mine. Friends died. Others were wed. Babes were born. Children came of age, and I saw none of it. Though I no longer possess the body of a healthy young man, many still live who once called me friend. Sometimes, still, 
I long to rest eyes on them, to touch hands, to lay to peace the loneliness of years. I cannot. Which we know isn't all true. A lot of that is true at the moment, but Mm -hmm. he is like 30-ish. Yeah. So that happens again, (laughs) but he is never known commonly as Fitz Chivalry again until the last trilogy right i also that for what like two years maybe (laughs) maybe yeah and i also i just think it's so sad to think about life this way like i'm never gonna go i'm never gonna be who i was ever again but it does make me wonder if robin hobb wrote it this way so that this could potentially be actually old man fits just in case she never wrote any more or got published for any more of the series so that you know if she never came back to Fitz, we had a closure of oh well he had a boy at some point (laughs) right right he became jade but yeah i don't know it is really sad and this is part of the thing that keeps him mad at regal just that regal took this away from him and he gave regal this victory which is not how he should be thinking of it but understandably he does think of it that way and we see how he can't move on from these events he's always thinking in the past and that i really do think is a result of him putting those memories into girl on a dragon yeah i i've made it clear before that having those bad memories i think that having those bad memories shoved away into something else and then receiving them later just locked him in that state at that period of time he never had the chance to you know dull those memories over the years or smooth over the cracks or fix anything or get over any of his emotions it was all kind of locked in that period and he still had memories of you know what had happened and his reactions but didn't feel the emotions to them so he never got better from those events from molly from his abandonment of his mother from his anger from the pain of the dungeons anything like that so he can't move on he can't move forward with his life right until that happens right because taking away part of the pain doesn't allow you to like fully heal or confront it in any way yeah so yeah i i really do think a lot of the tone we get from this prologue is because of that it it's all reflecting on what had happened in the past and nothing about you know maybe i can make new friends in the future or have you know my boy be my family no it's just like my boy's here cleaning up and i left all my life behind right and i do want to comment quick before we move on that he says i no longer possess the body of a healthy young man he doesn't he has a ton of pains and everything from that i think his white shock of hair is from the beating in the dungeon getting kicked in the head or something like that but he does get healed later in life and in the um the tawny man trilogy yeah but they go overboard so he like always has the body of a healthy man not necessarily young but always the body of a healthy man to the detriment of his health yes Sometimes, which I I thought it's kind of interesting because I hadn't thought about his whole physical health over the span of the whole series yet. And the first part of it is him being, you know, 
a kid getting healthy inhale and then just him struggling through the pains as like a 30 year old person 30 year old to 40 year old man Mm -hmm. being old beyond his years and then at the end of that being healed to always be at like 35 but healthy for the rest of his years yeah yeah it's super interesting to think about his health and i've never thought of him even in the beginning of the tawny man trilogy as particularly like trapped in an older body or that his pains were that significant right because i think he's still able to function day to day and he's able to like chop wood and farm for food and stuff yeah he definitely is so i think it's a little bit of fitz being a drama queen (laughs) i mean (laughs) when is it not right i know i think or i don't know i think he may still suffer from a little bit of shaking Mm -hmm. sort of the same as the seizure sickness in him but i don't think that it's ever truly as bad as it was when he was in his teens and first ailing from it although he does get horrible horrible headaches from using the skill and we know that he does use the skill a lot i'm sure it's not like an easy life by any means but and that's from his broken skull i think pressing right because once that's healed he doesn't have any pain right yeah no it's just really interesting to hear him talk about how i no longer have a youthful body as he's chopping wood every day. <laughs> he, yeah, he's so in his head about that. Mm-hmm. And very caught up because I think that's... I think that's kind of descendant from Birk's point of view and who he was raised with. Sure, yeah. Verity was always like the soldier do-it-yourself kind of person. Birk was too, but he had an injury that crippled his leg. Mm-hmm. And dealt with it poorly that Fitz saw growing up right (laughs) and heard all the talk from other people saying oh yeah he was such a man to contend with before this happened you know before the incident right (laughs) so I'm wondering if it's kind of residual like oh I'm not like I'm not in the prime anymore I'm kind of crippled I'm not right he has that to go off of yeah I don't know just wanted to point that out because I hadn't really thought about that before we're thinking about his health over the span of everything because most of the time we're just thinking about what is happening. <laughs> yeah, true. But anyways, Fitz then goes on to speak about how those years, the his past is lost to him and that it couldn't have been more than a month from when he was in the dungeon to when he died, even though it seemed like an eternity and how, like, from when his king had died into his arms to when he died, he missed everything in between that. He missed the his king's burial. He missed himself being sentenced with the wit because he had died before that. Right. He just missed out on significant portions of his life that are affecting him. Yeah. And will continue to affect him. And he also mentions that... He, he phrases it very interestingly, that when he is found guilty of ha- of using the wit it is used to make his death do- something he deserved right it's justified yeah. then people in the don't eyes feel of bad. everybody else yeah, yeah that the court is okay with it now and i think that's also something that i i don't know a better way to phrase this but hurts his feelings um a little bit more serious than it sounds but 
it would hurt that there's all these people who are willing to basically be traitors for you and just a few weeks later are grateful that you died and don't feel bad about the horrible death you have endured because you maybe used the wit, which right. there is no actual proof of just some people saying they saw it, which I guess technically is proof of some type, but not <laughs> nobody saw Fitz use it himself. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It is really sad. The last part of this prologue here is him once again going over the last few events and specifically who they involved. So Patience and Lacey were the only ones to claim his body. Patience, you know, cleaned his wounds, wrapped them up, and he makes a point to write down here that she claimed his body even though she was so distressed, first of all, when she found out that Fitz was Chivalry's kid. Mm -hmm. She was still the one to come and claim him to to, to care for him, make yeah. sure he got a proper burial and everything like that. To treat him as gently as though he were still alive. She and Lacey, her woman, mourned me when all others, out of fear or disgust at my crime, abandoned me. Yet she knew nothing of how Burek and Chade my assassin mentor, came nights later to that grave and dug away the snow that had fallen and the frozen clumps of earth that had been tossed down on my coffin. Only those two were present as Burek broke the, through the lid of the coffin and tugged out my body and then summoned by his own wit magic the wolf that had been entrusted with my soul. And she doesn't know. She doesn't find out until, well, six books from now. Seven books from now, I guess. <laughs> Because we have to go through Assassin's Quest yet. Yes. Yeah, it's really sad to think about. And more sad because Fitz purposely keeps his distance from her. After right. this, which is crazy to me. Like, she risked so much to give him a, bur a proper burial. And he won't even give her the courtesy of letting her know, hey, I made it. It's dangerous. That's what he's told, and that's what he thinks. So. Well, yeah, but when has Patience ever cared about the danger <laughs> of anything? That's why Fitz does not go to her. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It just makes me so sad for Patience, I think. Especially, it's heartbreaking because we're told Fitz looks so much like his father, and to lose the love, your, the love of your life... And then a few years later, your adopted son that looks just like the love of your life. Right. Like you're burying him twice. And that's so sad. Yeah. I feel very sorry for her. <laughs> and you know what? She should have given Fitz more crap about it. He deserved <laughs> more, but I get it. She was just happy he was alive. I do want to point out one thing at the end here and ask you what you think about it. The whole last two sentences is... Perhaps, as the fool insists, they had no choice, being Burek and Chade. Perhaps there can be no thanks nor any blame, but only recognition of the forces that brought us and bound us to our inevitable fates. So, Fitz is saying, maybe, I, I don't know if I've forgiven Chade and Burek for bringing me back to life, putting me back in a man's body, mm -hmm. but maybe, as the fool says, they had no choice. 
which is really weird to me because the fool's whole thing is any little choice can affect the future. Yep. Any little movement around. But Fitz is the catalyst and maybe the fool and, and the fool's friend and maybe the fool was just trying to comfort him or maybe because he was the catalyst and because Fitz made changes in the correct direction it made the future for one brief moment only one path could happen or something i don't know yeah it's very interesting because i agree i don't see this as the fool's typical philosophy i don't see it as something that the fool preaches at least not to my memory a lot it feels like he's always talked about choice Specifically, I'm brought to mind of when he, when the fool meets B in the marketplace the very first time, and he shows her that you have to look further beyond in the path because right. if you change one decision, that leads to so many more outcomes. Right. And sometimes letting the bad things happen leads to a better outcome. That feels so much like a choice. I don't like you have to let them make the choices, but sometimes you can nudge people into the right choices. Mm-hmm. I don't think it there's like a supernatural force telling Burek to do this. I think this is what Burek decided to do because he loved Fitz as his son. Right. And I also think that it was like a science experiment for Chade. <laughs> If it works, that'd be great. I mean, also, I think he wanted. I mean, Fitz yeah, back, he but. he also cares about Fitz. I will not deny that Chade cares about Fitz, but I don't know. I don't like the idea that Fitz and the Fool in this moment, at least, think that this had to happen. There was no other way. Right. I think a lot of this is the Fool looking back on these because he's talking. At least Fitz is talking from the future, about ten years in the future or whatever. Right. So the Fool is looking back like. Oh, we got to the stone dragons and saved the six duchies. This was the inevitable path for fate. I needed this to happen, so we made it happen, and that's why they did it. It Mm -hmm. it needed to be done. So I feel like if you talk to him in the moment about things, it's like, yeah, any little change can change things. Looking back on something that happened, oh, that needed to happen to get to where we are. Right. So that's that's where I'm kind of thinking it's at, where it's kind of his own... I don't want to say hypocriticalness because that's a little too harsh. It's not quite a juxtaposition either. It's just like him deluding himself a little bit about what is actually happening just sure. so he can comfort somebody or his himself about what had to happen to get to the, these points. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a interesting line for sure, and it did make me think a lot. So thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure how exactly I feel about it. And maybe it was just like you said earlier, the fool trying to comfort Fitz. But I don't know. I think everybody has a choice. And yeah, I don't know. I like it better that way. <laughs> Well, we're kicked off Assassin's Quest. Yeah. Starting the last book of the first trilogy here. What are you looking most forward to? Um, Girl on a Dragon. Gotta uh, wait a little bit for that one. Uh, yeah. It, see you next year, guys. Um, 
Um, no, I really like the dragon stuff. I think when I first read this series, getting to the dragon part really confused me. I had so many more questions after getting yeah. there because it's like this this doesn't feel right. Like these aren't dragons like I know. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I was like, well, maybe it's just this is the version of the world's dragons. Then, you know, the very next book, I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm most excited to get to the dragons. I hate the start of this book, mostly because of how sad Bjork is about to get. Yeah. Um, how snappy and insulting Fitz is that he yeah. drives both Bjork and Chade away. It makes me really sad. I don't, I'm yeah. not looking forward to live it, reliving that. Yeah, it's an incredible, tumultuous time for Fitz <laughs> and for Birk and Shade. But I think I'm also excited to meet Kettle because I think she's a cool character mm-hmm. that I wish I we got to spend more time with. Um, what about you? I like the part immediately after the beginning of this where he like comes to himself and mm-hmm. him and Night Eyes trek towards killing Regal. Oh, right. And Night Eyes goes by himself to try to join a wolf pack while mm, Fitz goes that. in alone to uh, try to kill Regal and then Verity finds him and like commands him to come to him. Like that whole sequence of like three to five chapters, I don't know how long it is, is yeah. really interesting to me. Especially um, the little the little moments and the little things that I think this is... I think it's right before he gets to Tradeford where he travels along with a minstrel and I think his two daughters or something like that and uh, kind of protects them and the daughters are kind of wary of him and the minstrel is blind or whatever and he's like, hey, I could teach you if you want to protect us because Fitz has a sword at that point. Uh huh. And Forged Ones attack and... He kind of like leaves them alone because he feels like he's drawing them towards these people, and yeah, I, don't know, I think I like the little interactions with the common folk because we don't get that a lot. That's fair, yeah. In these books, and I like it a lot in other books of just getting like kind of who lives here and fleshing out the world a little right. bit more, not having to listen to the whiny rich boy for a couple seconds. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's what I'm looking forward to, at least in the short term. The whole. Verity sections are very interesting when they get to the quarry. Yeah. And like what Verity is feeling and trying to explain everything because we know it's kind of happening, uh-huh. but everyone else is so confused. Right. So that's interesting too. I think this book specifically, but the series as a whole, just reminds me that when I first read this, you had already read the series mm-hmm. and I would come to you with so many questions and you would just give me. A smirk and be like, well, you gotta keep reading, I guess. And I was always so frustrated. I just wanted answers. And I feel like this book is a big one where it's it gets to a point where it's just like, okay, but what are the answers? Tell yeah. me. And Robin Hobb, I think, does a really good job of building this the tension and the suspense of how how are we gonna save the day? How is this gonna get fixed? What's going on? And I'm I'm excited. That's true, actually. A lot of the first two books are plot-driven motivators to keep reading. Of right. like, oh, cliffhangers here. What's going to happen to Fitz? But the end of this book is a lot of, 
okay, what does that mean for the world? Like, what happened in the past? Like, uh-huh. what's, what is the skill? What's the wit? Like, what is going on with this thing? What is this road? Who built this? Uh-huh. Who is Kettle? And why is she 200 and some years old? Right. <laughs> once we take out the, the court intrigue, I'm once again reminded, oh, yeah, there's, like, lore. And I need to know <laughs> what the heck these elderlings are and yeah. why. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to the end of that, too, so we can move on and then yeah. go to a different part of the world. And talk about some dragons. <laughs> some live ships, actually. Ooh, yes. Also dragons, but, you know, they don't know that yet. <laughs> Won't know that for quite a while. Yeah, like nine books or something. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, like, I think more, 12 books, 13 books. I don't it's know. It's like in the last trilogy, I think they find out, so. Yeah. At least that they find out that they can still be revived to actual yes. dragons. They find out that it's dragon, you At know, cocoons of, yeah. in the, the next trilogy. But Anyway, thank you so much for joining us at the start of this book. I'm very excited to start Assassin's Quest off. It's a very exciting one. I, as I mentioned before, Royal Assassin is my favorite of the trilogy, but this does conclude it in a very solid way and it has lots of exciting moments so yeah looking forward to reading more of it very excited if you guys have any questions for us any comments any corrections any thoughts of your own or theories please reach out to us email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can comment to us or message us directly isfitshappy at facebook twitter and instagram 